0: May the
1: force be with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) And you as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, um, yeah, welcome fret buzzards. Yeah. Um, We're here today with a special guest signing in from Phoenix, Arizona, Mr. Brent Barker, um, who just released his uh, EP. And we're going to talk about how to develop and maintain an original voice, sound, and style in the face of an ever-changing music industry.
1: Sounds great. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: This could be, we could talk about this from a lot of different angles, so, you know, you could talk about the tone of your guitar all the way through the, you know, the types of music you're playing and, you know, like, we, like we're like we saying, the, the industry is constantly changing and we've got to evolve to keep up, but we still want to sound like ourselves, and I know each of us, I've heard it, both of you guys play, I know you've got a, a distinct sound to you and so, yeah. any thoughts?
2: I know for me uh it's it's uh I know I've I've talked about this on past episodes uh and this is could probably go against what uh, a lot of other people say but I think for me as an artist um I just don't care. <laughs> I know that's kind of harsh uh, but I I often kind of find that Uh, The more that I start looking at everybody else uh, and using that as my guideline, uh, I start getting away from who I am as a true musician. And I look to, I usually for myself, look to my inner soul. I definitely celebrate other people for what they do. But when it comes to my own style and my own writing, uh, I try not to listen to all the buzz. Uh, I try to just kind of stay true to my own self. Um, I don't know. How do you guys feel?
1: Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think when um, you start to view it as a popularity contest mm. and you're measuring yourself against what the, the most popular thing is of the day, you, you've already lost because then you're not you anymore. Correct. Yeah. So I've read some, I've read some really good articles about um, being true to yourself and um, recognizing that the, the majority of people want to feel safe and, and it's much safer to, to feel like you're not being judged Mm -hmm. and um as soon as you put yourself out there you expose yourself to be judged if you're really being true to yourself yes so it takes a little bit of courage yeah right it's kind of like your your attitude a little bit you know it kind of takes that
2: yeah and i i think i i i think age has to do with that i think at a younger age uh coming through as a musician it's harder to do that um I think as the older I get, I kind of do have this attitude of whatever. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just wisdom or if that's just stupidity, but <laughs> I definitely feel as though the older I get, I just don't care as much anymore.
1: Yeah. It's called the, I don't give a damn quotient. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Changes. Yeah. Based on where you're at. Yeah. But okay. all the great artists that we talk about as players have all had the courage to really do that and be different. Yeah, it's hard to tell looking back on it, but you know when, when somebody comes out, um, and you're there to kind of witness it when they come out and they make a really big impact, um, chances are they're doing something very different, and it seems like a brilliant idea when everybody rallies around them and and uh, loves it, mm. but you know at one point they had no fans, they had no record, they had no followers, they had no nothing. Yeah, yeah, we always got to keep that in mind.
2: Yeah, that's very true. It is very hard to put yourself out there. I mean, it is even if even if you do have the attitude of "I don't care," um, it is it is still hard. It is still hard to kind of be true to yourself, and there are moments of self doubt. And um, but I think honestly, at the end of of the journey, uh, the only way that I can be satisfied and be truly happy with what I've laid out um, is to be just that um, very very true to myself and and know that what i've done is is all me um and i could take influences for sure um but always kind of pulling it back into to my own self and saying okay this is who i am Um, and yes definitely pushing yourself in certain areas of writing or performing or whatever it is um Cause that's going to help you expand as a musician and say, and kind of take on new ideas and new roles. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's, it definitely is hard at times.
0: So I've got a, a little different take on this. I, uh, because I play at so many different places, mm. I, I tend to have several styles that I, I kind of dip into. Like if I'm playing a jazz gig, I'm, I have a, a very distinct style. Like it sounds like me in my jazz mode. And then when I play a bar gig, I have like, I have my overdrive sounds. I have my, you know, the type of delay I put on my guitar. Yeah. And so it really depends on the gig. And, you know, I have my acoustic sound that's that I, I'm developing, but um, I tend to change. And really it depends on the song and what people are getting into. I definitely, change i just i have specific overdrives that i really like though i can say is the one the one thing that's really consistent right right have you have you
2: mean, ch- have you changed that throughout the years at all in terms of where
0: it was before in terms of where it is now um in terms of the tone of my guitar sure yeah i mean i used to really i have my my old fender hot rod deluxe Sitting beside me, I used to use that fender drive channel all the time, and I'd put a little uh uh t s eight o eight tube screamer on top of it oh, yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. to give it a little bit more snarl mm. um and I used to use a Stratocaster all the time, which had a very distinct sound um I've really switched i played my semi hollow my three thirty five ninety uh, five percent of the time now and mm. I use this Keeley red dirt germanium pedal. Mm, yeah that I feel like gives gives the guitar really smooth overdrive and i can i can really it'll break up a lot if i want it to but it can also if i pull the gain down yeah it sounds a little bit uh like i can use it in more of a coffee shop or a retirement home vibe just to get it to break up a little
2: how about you a brent has your tone uh your character changed over the years
1: i've been playing the exact same setup since the '90s, yeah. So I've got some very rare Soldano preamps that were there were only a couple hundred of them made, yeah. Um, and I actually had Mike Soldano modify them when he had his shop in Van Nuys, California. Mm-hmm. And I've still got those. I run those through a, an all-tube power amp made by a company called BHT that I don't think is out there anymore. But the owner, Stevie Fryett, also modified the power amp for me. So I've got some very rare customized gear and it gets a very distinctive sound and I just love it. And people listen to it and they tell me that it sounds like very classic hard rock. And it sounds very different than what's out there now. So, I mm-hmm. mean, like we were talking about earlier, like I had a choice, I just finished a record. I could have gone in and said, well, what's big now, you know, animals as leaders, Polyphia, um, Jason Richardson, guys that just shred all day long and have a very different style than what I do, or should I be true to myself? And I, I chose to, do something that's me, even right. though uh, it's, it's not consistent with what's I think popular at the moment. Right. So, um, but I, I, I had this conversation with somebody else too. Sometimes I feel as though I, and I've played through other things too. Like I show up at gigs and they've just got a marshal. And yet when I plug into that, it still sounds like me. There's certain things that I think we don't give our enough credit to our fingers and our ear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's really, that's, I think that's more than half of it. Oh, it is. I think Absolutely. all three of us could plug into each other's amps and it would still sound like us.
2: No, oh, it, it always yeah. comes down to the player.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it does come down to the player. So I mean, yeah. the gear helps. You know, once you once you add all the things together and it's the player and it's the gear that you like, you know, it, it maybe it, it gives it an extra 10%. But mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from the fingers and the way that you want to hear things. Uh, I mean, I think you, you do need a certain level of overdrive if you're a rock player.
0: Yeah, um, that sustain allows you to do so much, you know. Yeah, because it, it, it
1: forces, it it will lead to different melodies because you've got the flexibility to, to hold notes mm-hmm. the way a horn player would. You don't really have that, like, if you're going for a, a traditional jazz sound. So I think that, that definitely has an effect on your playing. But I've also got an old, uh, it's kind of like a, I guess it might be comparable to a Hot Rod Deluxe. It's an old, it's a Fender tweed deluxe uh yeah, yeah. kit that i built with my brother-in-law yeah and, oh, wow. and so if i want to break out something that just has a classic rock sound for a particular gig like what you're saying i could do that mm-hmm. and i, I found a, a really great power attenuator too to use it where you can turn it all the way up because those amps you really have to turn them all the way up that's yeah. the way the old blues get good right it's yeah. just everything on 10. yeah <laughs> and so i saw magic boom from chicago play they just Old Fender amp, everything on ten, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this kind of allows you to do that, and
0: but it we'll turns out They're really cool. They, it, you know, my Hot Rod Deluxe. If I turn it in my room, it's set at two and a half out of twelve, <laughs> and it right. doesn't sound right. But <laughs> at a gig, I might be able to turn it up if I'm playing solo to like three, maybe a little bit more. If I'm with a band, maybe I'm at five. If I'm lucky. Right, because you know, half the time they have you know the PA system, their mic in your amp anyway, and they don't want you to turn up. Right, right. So I actually yeah. went and got a, I got a Princeton Reverb sixty eight, and I can I can push that way easier. You know, mm. I can turn up to it starts to break up around four and a half out of ten, and mm. that's reasonable with a, you know, at a gig, it's not that loud. So one ten inch speaker, it's, having a smaller speaker really really helps if you want to break up In
1: speaker huh? yeah
0: yeah it's, it's so it's so nice not a good rocket for guys. not good for <laughs> if you're trying to turn up yeah right you, Brent you have a I noticed you've got you've got a, usually delay um do you have anything you like to use specifically
1: as far as effects
0: yeah I on your I was listening to your um, EP.
1: Yeah, there's a little more buried in there that you can't really hear. Like, there's a song I did called "Her," and I, I was at the mm-hmm. Blackbird Studio in Nashville. One yeah, yeah. of one of the, one of the uh, appeals about that place is they have a room that contains pedals on like eight different warehouse shelves, going back about twenty feet, oh, and it's oh, everything gosh. from like early Electro Harmonics pedals, like they had, you know, the Electric Mistress. They had Memory Man. They had like mm-hmm. all of this stuff going all the way up to today and um so i so i i took from that so i used a um i used a phase 90 on on the rhythm guitar track so to to one of the songs called her i used something that um i can't even remember the name of it it was it was the most obnoxious looking pedal i could find and he said well it sounds kind of like hendrix and so i said i want that one yeah and so uh, did kind of an octave delay thing which is hard to hear but it's also on that same song her and
0: um is that your lead of her The lead guitar. Uh, It was
1: on, yeah, it's on on this melody part where it kind of sounds like it's it's going to octaves Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of the song, and um, so we used that. I used a uh, MXR flanger Mm -hmm. on the acoustic guitar on the second song, Blue Parallel. I used a few things. I, I I definitely kind of stole liberally from their bag of tricks although it's not really obvious you kind of have to listen to it i think with headphones to hear some of that stuff yeah. mm-hmm. uh back here like you know my main setup what i'm using for gigs is is a very simple setup is i've got an old uh, real mccoy wah pedal which gives a really and i didn't use it on my my solo ep but it gives a very hendrix-y kind of a wah right it sounds very late 60s I've got a I've got a a Phase 90, and then I use an Eventide H9. And the interesting thing about that is it's got great delays, but it's also got some good modulation effects. It's got a great chorus, got a great flanger on it, and it's MIDI controlled. Uh, so, uh, but with that, I can have one pedal, and it kind of gives me a nice little little variety.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you're right. You're playing a Jackson guitar usually.
1: Yeah, I've got I've got two Jacksons. They're both vintage San Dimas Jacksons. Just nothing feels like, nothing sounds like. When you go to a store today and you pick up, a, you know, feels like a totally different instrument. You're picking oh my a Jackson. God. Yeah, I've got, yeah. Love Jackson. Love them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've never really played on a Jackson. Oh, wow, hey. they're they're wonderful. <laughs>
2: they're fast. Yeah, they're, yeah, yeah.
0: They're
1: they're kind of that perfect mix between a Strat and a Les Paul because at least the the body wood on mine is mahogany, very heavy, mm-hmm. and. um, so you've got that kind of dark tone, um, and it's a humbucker, but it's shaped like a strat, and so you kind of got that fast feel.
0: Mm-hmm. You got a really uh, uh, wide radius, right? So it's a really yeah. flat fretboard. yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah and, and it's kind
1: of it's kind of flat in the back too. Like some of the strats you yeah, have, they feel kind of like a baseball bat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a little more sleek, a little thinner. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's uh, so it's fast. And they stay in tune really well, which is always like, you know, go back to the fundamentals and the basics. You're out on the road, you're playing in different weather and different humidity. You need something that's that's built rock solid that's gonna stay in tune. Yeah. five, six, seven, eight
0: songs into the set. It sounds good, uh like if you don't have drive on it. Had a good clean sound? It does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Sounds great
1: without even being plugged in. That's how you know you got a great guitar. (laughs) Don't even plug them in. You get one that sounds great, feels great without being plugged in, then you're just, you know, you're golden.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I got away from my Jackson only because the uh, Floyd Rose started to, I don't know, for some odd reason, I started to have some issues with Floyd Rose. I just wasn't digging it as much as I got older in life I kind of like that fixed bridge but I do I definitely enjoy the the, the Floyd Rose but
0: I, don't, I I kind of veered away from it more as I got older you normally play you're a Strat guy now yeah, with, yeah, oh, yeah. with those hot rods or yes the, you have you don't have the Seymour Duncan you've got the other company right uh, DeMarzio hot, yeah Marzios. yeah that's, that's help beef up the Stratocaster
2: yep yep hot rails are you yeah. still
0: playing through your Vox most of the time, Aaron?
2: Um yeah, for the most part. Now that I've got the uh the Deluxe, I I've, I've been kind of toying around with that a lot lately. I just kind mm-hmm. of just playing with tones and and I I <laughs> I got to stop, but I keep on buying amps. <laughs> <It's
1: laughs> addiction, right? Oh, my God. I all got it.
2: I know. <laughs> it's, it's so addicting. I'm like, I got to stop buying amps. <laughs> At least I got to start selling them. The ones, but I can't. I'm just like, oh, I gotta own them all.
0: <laughs> <If you're actually laughs> the baby, you'll want it. You'll need it. Yeah. Someday you'll have yeah, a studio gig and you want the perfect amp for it. Yeah, not at Blackbird Studios. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's funny on in the Kairos Quintet, Aaron and I, Brent, played in a band together um back several years ago and we were both playing guitar. It was and we would sometimes be playing harmonies to each other and you know, you could always, it was so obvious who was playing because yeah. our tones okay. were just so distinct. But yeah, Aaron, you always had that. Usually you were playing through your Vox back then. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, into a darker tone at that point. Uh, I was kind of playing with this whole Vox, and it's got that really smooth, warm sound. Um, mm. that I really enjoy out of a, a Vox, uh the AC-30.
0: Yeah, yours was scooped more. I had a lot more mid so it actually it sat well together
2: yeah they we played well together because what what sonic space i took um you you played the opposite of that sonic space so yeah they they married well together yeah uh is there a uh rhythm do you play with the rhythm the rhythm guitarist to, um in your band brent
1: no okay so you're no, also you're all solo lead guitar. i've done uh i've done projects though with other guitars though yeah, yeah. so i think it's definitely uh um important to to look at your your tone versus the other guitar players tone if you're going to do a two guitar project like like what you guys are talking about because it can sound really beefy if you if you get two players that kind of going for for different tones Hmm. yeah i just try to since it's one guitar i try to make it sound as big and fat as i possibly can so Ah, that's the goal right just the it's the holy grail quest never ends yeah no it doesn't that's for sure
0: And even even when you think you found it, you show up in a new room and you're like, you can't find it sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Brent, are you playing out in a trio a lot of the time?
1: I am. I'm typically playing with uh, just a a bass player and a drummer. So Mm -hmm. trio. And then uh, I'm involved in a a couple of different things right now. So I'm working on an album um, with a singer named Keith St. John, who sang for Montrose. He's currently the singer for Kingdom Come with (laughs) the drummer currently from kingdom come james kotak who's also who's from the band scorpions yeah, yeah. and so we've been recording uh, we recorded three songs in la about a month ago or so and that again is going to be a traditional four-piece classic rock sound guitar bass drums vocals mm-hmm. you know i still wind up even though it's one guitar and i've 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 tried just about every possible combination. I still think it sounds best to double track guitars, rhythm guitars. You know, maybe it's just from growing up in the eighties or, or what have you, but I think you get a great guitar sound, you double it. And I just, I've never found anything that actually beats that No, tone, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it really is. I, and it may have something to do with growing up through the eighties and just getting that sound. <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely correct. There there is absolutely nothing that replaces that double tracked guitar. I mean, it just doesn't.
1: Are you? Yeah, warm, and it doesn't sound fake. It doesn't sound electronic. Doesn't sound like a, you know, some of the pedals can, some of the chorus pedals at a certain are useful for big open chords, but some sometimes they can also sound a little sterile. Or I'm not sure what the word is. You guys know
0: what I'm talking about? Yeah. 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 So are you double tracking and panning one right and one left?
1: Yeah. And hard, hard right and hard left. Mm-hmm. Always. And I, 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 play it to the, it's hard to tell unless you've got on earphones. I don't think you can, it's not really obvious. You know, if you track them tight enough, it just gives that extra something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I like the Anthropocene, it's just, there's something about it, man. Two is always better than one. And <sighs> always, <you know? laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you,
0: ever, do you ever set one back a little, a little bit? I know with vocals, I've done that in the past like just
1: putting, so you double track and set one back and kind of in the back i've done that too and that's interesting too that you can get a little more dynamics that way kind of bring it up into the forefront if you've got a big power cord and then let it lay back a little bit in verses yeah
0: yeah, I yeah. Mean it, and it just sounds thicker i mean it's like it's almost like a delay but like a, a single slapback delay
2: oh i see what you're saying i show you yeah
0: i mean just like taking the two tracks and just scooting one of them back just a teeny bit right like five ten milliseconds something like that yeah. 20 milliseconds yeah sometimes that really fattens it up
1: yeah yeah what's what's the right amount of time to do that five or ten milliseconds you think
0: any more than that you start getting into an actual
2: delay and you feel like there's actually a slap back um uh, mm-hmm. yeah you start pushing it just nudging and just and you'll hear it i mean use that nudge factor and um the longer you go, you start feeling that that slap, and you just pull it, pull it in just a little bit, and it's starting to kind of thicken it up just a little bit. Yeah. I know yeah. with Pro Tools, I've definitely pl-
0: played around with that quite a bit. Yeah, and I really like it on, on vocals. It, it helps a lot. Have you guys found a pedal that does that? <sighs> Not like what I'm thinking uh, of. Silence. Yeah, Right? Yeah.
2: Right? Yeah, I mean, you Maybe. can try, but I don't know that you're actually going to
0: achieve it. Yeah, nothing sounds right. My my delay pedal, if I set a really fast delay, it doesn't sound like what I'm, no. I'm talking, what about. talking about. Yeah. yeah. It
1: still I mean, sounds it, like a ba-ba.
0: It sound, yeah. You can hear that second one.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could always try doing like a, a stereo split out of the guitar and doing like two amps or something like that. And yeah, yeah. That might That might give you what you're looking for. Actually, I've got a... Uh, a guest who's coming on the show in the future who's actually working on building an amp that's in stereo um mm-hmm. which would be kind of interesting to wow yeah oh yeah that's- yeah every so often i see him about every month and uh, he shows me all what he's working on and he's he's getting closer because <laughs> okay. there's actually not too many people actually out there right now i think there's one or two companies that actually put out a stereo amp um but yeah, it's very rare that you can actually find one and it's got that thick sound. It's very interesting. It's very cool.
0: Actually, like my role. I think, the problem,
1: yeah. you know, I've been experimenting with this, just trying to kind of replicate that sound that you get in the studio with yeah. double tracking guitars. And yeah. so, you know, my current setup is running stereo through two Soldanos okay, into okay. the VHD, which is a stereo power amp. And I can make one wet and one dry. Yeah. Uh, and in the, um, the missing link to doing that, at least that I found so far, is the guitar's impedance isn't meant to drive two amps on its own. Right. That's why when you plug into any kind of a pedal and it says there's a right and a left output, stereo output, it just kind of thins up your sound a little bit. If you go back and record it and listen to it, even though the effects might add some space to it, you're you're kind of missing some power. Right. And a little bit of tone. And so I found this thing by uh, Michael Wagner called an MW1 Studio Tool. And it solves that problem. It solves that impedance problem. Oh, very so it's, cool. a, it's a rack mount unit. And what he uses it for us, he's a producer, is to take it in the studio to run into an amp and then have a, a, a separate um, out that runs to the board and, and is clean that can be reamped. So mm-hmm. he did it as a producer so that you could record with you know your Thunder Princeton, and then you could reamp it through 10 different other amps and uh, you know in the studio so uh so he kind of solved that problem so using that through two amps is the best thing that i've i've come across because it sounds natural it's yeah. the closest it still doesn't I, i'm still not completely satisfied with it <laughs> 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 but it's the closest thing i found
2: chasing yeah. it chasing it chasing it
1: <laughs> hey, well, like we're all going for that last one percent we're all 99 percent. there's that extra one percent to be oh, a yeah, 100
2: absolutely man yeah absolutely so
0: but even if our fans and the people in the audience can't tell, it, it just feels good. When you sound like you, you want to sound it, I think it helps me play. Yeah, it makes you play better, right? Oh, yeah. absolutely.
1: It, you know, you don't, you're, not, you're not thinking, man. You can just get into the moment of, of actually playing music, mm-hmm. which, yeah. which is not thinking at all.
2: Right, right. That's exactly right. You're in it. You are speaking the language it's mm-hmm. just it's just a fluent thing that just happens in the moment yeah
0: well we we've been really really focused here on on tone from a uh, <laughs> you know mechanical amps pedals perspective however you know this we could look at this from a whole different way you you brought it up at how it's in the fingers but stylistically i mean who at some point we all really try to sound or at least try to incorporate the sounds of our favorite players and then we you know morph that sound into our own thing and and i think um aaron and i and tony have talked about this in the past but brent who have you really studied and tried to incorporate specific stylistic elements of their playing
1: I think the players that I I consciously tried to to learn everything that I did because I was a kid and I was just trying to learn how to play guitar as best I could. And there were great players when I was learning to play um, are not necessarily players that I sound like today. Mm -hmm. But for me, that would have been Eddie Van Halen and Randy Rhodes, Eddie Van Halen for having like still to this day, probably one of the best classic rock guitar sounds and Randy Rhodes for kind of taking a uh, different approach, much more melodic right? Um, compositional type of approach. Although I listen back to my record and to me, it doesn't sound like either of those two guys. Um, but that, that those were my big influences when I started. And um, I think once you kind of get past learning the mechanics of your favorite player, you start to get more at the, um, kind of the essence of what they're doing. Like, you know, I hear Eddie Van Halen now, and I, I think to myself, he sounds like a sax player. You know, you can forget about the tapping or how he's doing it. I hear very fluid legato sounds with a lot of notes using the bar that that could have been performed by somebody playing saxophone. Mm-hmm. And so um, that element, I think, is consistent in my playing. I do kind of the same thing, although it doesn't sound like Eddie Van Halen. So I think once you reach a certain point where you've, kind of learn from your influences. You kind of set all that to the side and and you just kind of meditate and then you're going to come up with some licks that sound really cool to you that give you a certain amount of energy mm-hmm. and you just focus on those and do those over and over and over and eventually it's like building a house. You know, you've laid down the foundation and now you're adding some bricks and then before you know it, you're remodeling the kitchen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I heard when I was listening to some of your tracks, I can't remember... Which track it was in but i i mean i heard i heard a little bit of stuff that i associated with like some of paul gilbert's runs and some of satriani's kind of legato style because we talked a lot about satriani last week um but i definitely heard some some patterns that i thought that's where they might have come from at least that influence do you listen to those guys at all
1: i've heard them of course and i think Satriani's like one of the great songwriters like he doesn't get credit everybody thinks of him as a guitar player but i think he's so well known because he's a great writer and uh paul gilbert i've seen live multiple times in la he's just a beast monster so i'm (laughs) honored that you you would compare anything that i've done to those two guys they're awesome but i didn't learn from either of them Mm -hmm. i've never learned a paul gilbert song or a satriani song so So i think they're awesome so so, um
2: in terms of kind of just going down that route that brings up a question for me um since we're talking about satriani and um paul and vi and all these instrumental rock players Mm -hmm. where where do you brent see instrumental rock a guitar going in the future
1: i think it's gonna get more and more popular um because there's one, one thing we can all agree about guitar is it's unlimited mm. you know it every day that you pick up your instrument and you just kind of get into the zone There, there's it's endless it's so endless and when um think about classical music which mm. has survived hundreds of years mm. it's great compositional it's great melodies you know like you just mentioned joe Satriani. i think people be listening to his music a couple hundred years from now because he's such a great writer mm. i think it takes I, what I would like to see is is more great writing happening right. on guitar, rather than just flat out shredding. Yeah. But I think there's, you know, I think there's some some great stuff um, that's out there now, instrumental wise. Um, yeah.
2: I I have said multiple times in, on the podcast that I feel, in my own personal opinion, that I see that the music industry is really pushing rhythm rather than melody and composition i hear a lot of rhythm-based things happen you had mentioned like animals as leaders and things like that um Mm -hmm. i i I hear and feel a lot of this rhythm-based stuff happening um and it's really happened within the past i'd say 20 years where this rhythm thing happens where maybe it's just this you know one tone and they're just like riffing on it in different patterns whether it's, you know and that whole um the the whole melodic and compositional thing seems to have subsided at least in my opinion um it, i don't see that happening as much i don't know why that is um but at least that's my observation i i would love to see the rock uh guitar and the the composition part of it, the the theory end of it really play a big part in the future. I would love to see that. Um, And I think that a lot of that is that the record companies are paying three guys to go into a room for the next, you know, five to eight hours and write a couple things and, you know, whatever comes out on the other end of it. Cool. We'll sell it because it sells. Uh, that long are long gone are the days of you know s- sitting in a studio for months and months and creating this this masterpiece. Uh, it does happen, but definitely not on the wide scale that it was happening 30, 40 years ago.
1: And, yeah, and we might not know. I mean, there could be some music that's out there that's not popular today that 50 years from now could be the next, you know, Beethoven. It's classic and just wasn't popular during the lifetime of the artist. You know, time is always. The true test
2: yeah and and it's sh- it's well, definitely out there my point more along the lines is is that the popular you know it was very accessible 40 years ago where it was all over the place it was you know eddie van halen was a household name as joe satriani was a household name these these guitar greats everybody knew who they were and they were on the radio they were being played um now that just That doesn't happen. The the whole popular music is such a different landscape than what it was. Uh, I know that we have talked about even with something like Steely Dan, and they had the whole jazz kind of thing being incorporated. That was on popular radio. That was pop music. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen now. And that's my biggest qualm is the whole composition, the whole music theory, the whole in-depth music writing isn't as accessible when you turn on the radio where it's, it's just, it's not out there as per as predominantly as it was back then. And that, that to me is just like, Oh, come on. I want to see it go that direction. But the way that studios are, are operating nowadays and, and, and it just doesn't seem to be going that way.
0: Well, I've said this before, and I think Tony said this, it's definitely out there. I mean, Brent Barker is sitting in front of us virtually. But
2: oh, I know. I mean, I, they, I know it's out there. I'm just saying, popular.
0: I'm saying popular. But, but like you said about your tone, who cares what's popular? We're gonna teach our students. I'm gonna introduce my students to the people, the players. I mean, it's gonna survive. I mean, and there are some big bands. If you look at the the festival scene, there's some bands like Umphrey's McGee and that have some incredible compositions. And and Fish is incredible at composing. And you've got in the jazz realm, you've still got Pat Matheny still out there writing incredible stuff. You've got guys out there. Tommy Emmanuel's writing. He's constantly writing incredible acoustic music. And Andy McKee, he's always experimenting with alternate tunings. And right. Like, he's so cool to listen to. So It's definitely out there is all I'm getting at. Yeah. But it's not going to be mainstream because it doesn't... You're not going to play it at dance clubs.
2: Well, that's that's my that's my point the, the whole music scene has changed it's changed quite
1: a bit a bit more fragmented right like there's you know so much out there mm. that it's kind of hard to hone in on one thing um mm. you know popular music uh i don't when you think about even you know radio uh, you know radio is different now in, in terms of like you know there's a there's a satellite radio with some very specific niches on it. And oh, yeah. it's just, you know, very different. So it's, uh, it's not like before where there was a very small number of bands by comparison that everybody knew about. Now there's much more bands that a much smaller group of people know about.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. The field has changed. That's for sure. And as a gigging musician, you don't, You know, you can become known in your area, but not necessarily nationwide, but still be very successful. Um, So, you know, Brent, I don't know how much you tour around, but, you know, I hadn't heard of you until we got in contact with you for this. But now that I've heard you, like, I I truly enjoyed listening to your EP. And so you're on, you know, you're on my radar now. Yeah, yeah. thank you. (laughs) <laughs> once I find once I find people that I like, I, I keep yeah. listening. I mean, heard of
1: this concept called a thousand true fans.
0: Well, oh no. yeah, much better than well, you you'd tell it. Yeah,
1: the um, the theory is that you can sustain yourself with just a thousand true fans that are willing to spend you know a hundred bucks, a um, hundred times a thousand, hundred thousand uh, dollars on you if you, and um, with all of the. Outlets available to a musician today, it seems achievable uh, to to find those thousand true fans. You might not be a household name like some of the heroes that we're talking about here on on this show, but uh, there's there's a viable opportunity to make a living not only music but doing other things as well with a small group. If you're doing, if you're really committed to something that other people believe in and other people like, then yeah, it feels like that's um, maybe more the uh, a good model for a musician.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I agree with that. I agree. And especially in today's environment. Yes, very much. So if you have loyal fans, super fans that mm-hmm. follow you, yeah, uh, that's right. Super. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, 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 that's really what it's all about. People who uh, believe in what you do and love what you do and, and you uh, connect with them and they, you bring them into this community and you guys are a community. That's all you need. Really.
0: That's why it's so important to be, you not only as a musician have to be, you have to hone your craft, but you have to, you have to put yourself out there and like talk to the people that come to your shows. And I mean, I, when I take a break, I, I mean, I may go to probably go to the bathroom, but I'm going to (laughs) like, I'll play these three hour shows and I'm like out there trying to, if somebody noticed that I was, if I had noticed somebody really paying attention, I will make a point to go and try to meet them. And oftentimes they, they're, receptive and if you get to know them they tend to come back more they they're like oh do you have a card and they you know they might start following you. it's you got to really you've got to do all the jobs when you're a musician you've got to be do the, you've got to do the music and everything else you got to win your fans.
1: yeah yeah it's different than it used to be i think fans expect that now they expect a personal connection to the artist it didn't used to be that way yeah i would have never dreamed of going up to Eddie Van Halen and expecting him to even talk to me. And now that would definitely be expected. (laughs) Like you're in everybody's pocket if you're on Instagram or or what have you. So you've got instant access to everybody. And, uh, I think as a musician now you, you, you're right. You kind of have to do all the jobs. You've got to be out there hustling. Um, you've got to make sure that your fans know how to connect to you personally because mm-hmm. yes. that's, that's 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 the reality we live in today yeah mm-hmm.
2: yeah it really is you have to promote and you have to you want them to feel as though they're your friend because ultimately they are i mean you're going to build yeah, you're, you're your going <laughs> to and you're going to build relationships with these people they are going to be you know people that you talk to on it on a daily basis and build a, a good friendship with these people these people. That's that's extremely important. Um, I know for me, you know, whatever it is that I subscribe to, whether it's on any social media platform, um, when you start getting that engagement with that person and starting to become a personality within that community, um, that's it. You you feel as though you're a part of it, and you're willing to do whatever i mean that that artist whoever they are can ask you for anything and because you feel as though you're part of that that organic thing that's going on sure i'm i'm willing to do whatever whatever you need to do hey I'll, I'll give you a couple bucks for your next album absolutely because if you need funding for it set up a GoFundMe, and here we go i'm part of it yeah
0: you're the perfect super fan aaron
2: but it's true there's so many people out there that feel the same way i mean i i am definitely a part of enough communities out there that i know that within the certain ones that i am a part of there are many others that feel the same way i do whereas you know if there's an artist out there that needs something or just needs support that's it even just not even monetary, just support. It's good to have that to have a fan or fans out there that's got your back, and that's great because then you're building those relationships, and that's that's a really good thing to have you're you're um you're part of something, and isn't that really what it's all about? and you're just kind of being part of this thing and kind of getting yourself out there and That that makes you feel good as a person, kind of just reaching out and touching someone. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. (laughs) For all you younger uh, buzzards out there, (laughs) they may not know what that is.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't know what it is. Right.
2: (laughs) I'm sure Brent does. (laughs) I got you, man. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So yeah, I, community is really really important. I just I think that uh, our environment today is very much changing in the music industry, very very very
0: much. But it goes back to the the topic of the day. You know, you have to develop a a tone and a style, so when people hear you, they know it's you. I mean, I I, I used to listen to I'd be I'm trying to think of the song. I, there was a song that came out with the singer from Matchbox Twenty. It was smooth and. Mm-hmm. You know, Carlos Carlos Santana is playing guitar behind him. I'm like, that sounds like Carlos Santana. It what? Obviously, it was. Yeah. But like, you know, you got to develop a a sound, and it uh, when people like your your sound, sometimes it's good to stick with it, and sometimes it's good to let it evolve and try to bring your your audience with you.
2: Yeah, I, there's there's certain artists that come to mind that definitely have stuck true to themselves and uh, have kept up that same sound. But on the other hand, there are definitely a, f- a bunch of artists that I can think of who have evolved through the years and have changed their sound and who have evolved with the times.
0: So it's, Car- it's, Carlos Santana is a perfect example of that. Yeah. He doesn't sound like he did at the beginning. Like if you listen to black magic woman or some of those earlier recordings, compared to his, at least tone wise, he's got a much thicker, modern overdrive in his newer stuff. Mm. Yeah, but Carlos is always Carlos. He's always gonna sound like Carlos. Yeah, I mean, I think note choice wise, yes. Yeah, he's got that Dorian sound.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, the guy that um, engineered my record for me, Blackbird, won a Grammy for that song, Smooth, by Santana. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so really cool!
1: Yeah, it's very cool. So, um, so he recorded it. He said that they did maybe four takes. Okay. Of each song, you know, Carlos has played his four takes live. All of them you can use, and they just kind of they can choose <laughs> what they're what they're going to what they're going to put together.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah yeah
2: and i uh noticed uh you would you actually pulled in quite a few cool people from uh, uh for your ep you've got what steve Vai's drummer
1: yeah uh, yeah guy named chris frazier he's currently the drummer for foreigner he was with white snake
2: before
1: mm-hmm. that so yep. he's uh but what's great about him was saying he's got that um fusion background that came from early steve Vai. so he played on the of warfare album right and okay. some other things with him before that so he definitely had all the fusion jazz chops but he's also been a solid rock drummer with you know big arena bands so he could do both so mm-hmm. he could he could get you know the fusion thing on when he wanted to like he does in some places but he could also just keep it really straight and heavy mm-hmm. um, and just a super super nice guy and the, uh, the bass player Brad Lang uh, was from a band called y Who's uh, with for a while? And he's been with Rat. He's done a couple yeah. different things. All three of us actually met at the um, the Ronnie Montrose Remembered event in LA this year in January. Oh, yeah. We went playing together. So you know, Chris and I played on a song together and we said, Well, this just feels too good. We got to work together. Right. So right. Uh, we decided to do it. So great, great connection. You know, always, if you ever get opportunities to go play with people, you never know where it's going to lead. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. my advice to anybody out there is just say yes to everything. You never
2: know What was the uh, writing process For for those four songs Did you have those mapped out And then gave them To the other guys Or was that more of an organic type of thing That you did in the studio Or how did that happen
1: So I had it 100% mapped out um, In advance And I sent them uh, each The tracks but I didn't include Drums or bass on it So, so the, those recordings were, they're just like here on the record, same arrangement, same everything, but it's just rhythm guitar and lead. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, a guy as good as Chris on the drums, would be like, I'm sure Jimmy Page didn't (laughs) go to John Bond and say, Oh, I'm going to play this drum part for you. And I want you to play this. Right. He'd probably say, you know, you do that. Right. Mm -hmm. Here's how the guitar goes. So that's kind of how we work together. So they wrote their own parts to those songs, I guess, you know, without, and I I tried not to give them much direction. I really wanted to to know what they would kind of, where they would take it.
2: How much in an, how much in advance did you give them that? A couple months. Okay. Okay.
1: A couple months. Of, you know, they, they knew it was coming for a while. And then we uh we rehearsed two days as a band and then yeah. we uh, recorded in wow. Nashville. It's a lot of fun. Just yeah. had a blast. We were making so much noise. we were at SIR studios in Nashville and we were so loud uh that everybody all the bands like, who is that? Who's in that room back there? Those guys are just <laughs> crushing, it. Yeah, crushing it killing yeah. it back there yeah. they're that's, murdering things that's awesome yeah. so, uh, so yeah.
0: when you were when you got together as a band did they bring any um, did they make any changes not that it's right or wrong but did did the songs evolve at all when you brought it slightly
1: I there, yeah i think there was one part where we added four beats because it was missed i'm missing a measure felt a little bit off mm-hmm. and um other than that no we didn't change arrangements but they definitely came up with parts that were a little bit different than what i was hearing in my head which is what i wanted because yeah. i think what we can fall into especially not in the age of home studios is you do everything on your own everybody can can create an album 100 percent on their own now. Yeah. And I've done that before. And what I've found is that it's just never as good as it is when you can collaborate with somebody that's an expert at what they do. Yeah. Here, here. you can
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. It's just, it, it makes for a better listening experience for the listener. If it's not all from the brain of one person, you know, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, you take a great classic band, um, right and rush, perfect example right i mean i would i'm sure, sure. <laughs> alex life could create the a, a phenomenal album on his own but it would be better if he had getty and neil in the room right yeah. to kind mm-hmm. of do their own thing and take it in a new direction
2: yeah yeah absolutely and 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 you know any but one of these guys who are in their home studios sure you can come up with some pretty sick drum beats you know if you're a guitar player but Someone who's honed that craft for years and years and years as a drummer, I want to give that that task to them because they know that the best, you know. You know and I, they're going to hear very, it
1: differently. Then that's going to—they're going to hear it differently, which is going to, I think, you know, if you've got the right player and you've got a good chemistry and they know, you, you kind of got a good musical dialogue going on. They're going to—they're going to make it better, quote unquote. I think. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. To where it, it reaches a point where you could listen to it over and over and over and over, which is always always the, the true test of a great record. You can hear it over and over and you don't really get tired of it. Yeah. And I think that's more likely to happen when you have some collaboration going on rather than just the mind of one person doing every single thing.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm gonna say that I completely agree to preface this, but <laughs> I I used to play in bands and I have not played in a band consistently since i moved to virginia beach um so i have found that I, I can make a living playing solo but it's it's really hard to find the gigs that pay a full band enough unless you're playing like in a in a really popular cover band is yeah and i haven't wanted to go that route but i can go out and play on my own using looping pedals looping systems and it's i'm successful like that have you ever gone out and just played solo
1: i'm considering it and in fact i'm considering it now for kind of the same reason because you know i've got a hustle and every day every day's got to be bringing in some monetization for music right so i've thought mm-hmm. about that and uh, um you know i've seen kind of the looping pedal thing mm-hmm. um and i thought well should i just record backing tracks you know, which I can do in a studio and play that? Or should I use the pedals? I, I'm not quite sure. Tell us about your experience. Like, how did that work out for you? How did you, well, I understand kind of the, the need because I'm interested in it myself. But t- talk, walk us through the mechanics. How do you do it? You use pedals and why pedals yeah. versus backing track? What, 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 what Absolutely. do you do?
0: There are other people around Virginia Beach that use different approaches. But I've, you know, I've heard people with backing tracks. Uh, I've heard people with uh, the, I think it's the, Boss RC thirty looping pedal. I used to use a Digitech Jamman, um, but personally, I found this. Uh, it's it's the Trio Plus, Digitech Harmon Trio Plus. It's significantly better than the Trio that they put out before. And what's so cool about it is that you can, you know, it takes micro SD memory cards, and you can fit 12 tracks on a memory card and each of those tracks you can have different song parts so you can have a pre uh you can pre-loop an intro a verse a chorus a bridge whatever and it'll play endlessly until you want to change it so if i go to take a solo i get maybe i'll go to the verse or whatever or the chorus for that song and i'll just improvise and look around and see who's paying attention and You know, I'll gauge how long I'm going to play. I mean, sometimes I'll just play. And then I don't have to worry about, okay, it's I have 16 bars. Right. And then the track's going to keep going. It's, You know, in some songs that's good. But I like for a lot of songs to have that open-ended, like I, I can just play as long as I want. Sometimes I pick up my harmonicas or whatever. Sometimes I'll just talk to the crowd in that vamp. And, uh, and the trio is really good because it, and I think they should trio should uh, or digitech should sponsor me for this. Uh, <laughs> this wonderful. Uh, How about it? What I'm saying about it. I, I think it's yeah. an incredible tool because you can set the, um, you can set the style so you can set it to rock or metal or alter- alternative rock or jazz, huh. Latin folk country blues and within each of those you have nine uh different styles in four four time and three in three four six eight and if you look at the manual it's actually like if you look at blues one of them's like a 1950s chicago blues style and one of them's more of a texas blues style mm. and it you can change how busy the bass is from very busy to just mostly roots and fifths to staying just on the root of each chord. You can change the drums from you can change it from more of a verse feel to a chorus feel, and the drums will go from the hi hat to the the ride cymbal, and it it really is you can do all this with your feet while you're playing. It's awesome. So
1: is it it's preloaded tracks then, or uh, do you do you you create your own track?
0: No, you create your own. I do most of them at home, and I have a I have a list that has what songs are in each memory card. Some yeah. songs, like, I'll play Herbie Hancock's Chameleon often, and that's just, you know, it's just a vamp. So I do that yeah. live. Uh, if it's a song that has four chords repeating for the whole song, I'll do it live. But, you know, there's a lot of songs. If I'm going to do a jazz track, I don't necessarily, if it's a ballad, like something like Misty, I don't want to spend a minute playing the chords to, and then it, it, to set it up, right? Set it up to, it'll create drums and bass that fits that. Somehow it, it reads what you're playing. You have to be fairly simple with it the first time through, at least rhythmically. And don't put crazy extensions on your chords. Like if it's a G dominant seven, don't add a sharp 11 or whatever weird on it. But, um, then you have to play it again to loop your guitar part, so if it's something long, it's just much better to do it ahead of time and if it has multiple song parts it's it's crucial you got to do it ahead of time because you can't really do that, effectively. Just that well, how many, how many hours can you play, with I, can play a, I can play a at a bar I can play four hours, and then if wow. I can go into more jazz, I can play for I could play for probably six hours without repeating myself, but I would my fingers would hurt, my voice would be <laughs> <laughs> how just out of curiosity, have you ever looked into Ableton Live? I have Ableton Live okay um, and have you ever I, used that on stage?: I've never used it on stage i I know they may I've seen some really cool videos of people getting the external uh controllers right yes that I've seen like a video of a guy with an acoustic guitar and he's got it attached to the body just beyond the bridge hmm. behind the bridge, and it it sounds. Super cool what he's doing. Um, I haven't gone that route because I've just I'm so busy and yeah, it's I'm time really It's using my system and
2: yeah, yeah. No, it's definitely time intensive. I've seen some pretty amazing one man shows uh using Ableton Live and you sit there and you're like, wow, this is yeah. this is this is really impressive. Uh it obviously takes a, a lot of preparation to get to that point. But yeah, absolutely. I, I there are many ve- uh, many ways you can actually do it. It's just whatever feels comfortable f- to you.
0: Yeah, or you could just be a acoustic badass like Tommy Emmanuel, and you never need all you need is your guitar. Right, <laughs> but that's not that's not much. Does thing. he do shows that's with
1: my... just acoustic guitar?
0: Yeah, he's insanely good. I mean, he if you haven't heard him, and for all the fret buzzards out there, Tommy Emmanuel is an Australian acoustic guitarist he doesn't i mean he'll sing a little bit but he usually plays the shows by himself he's one man with an acoustic guitar on a huge stage and he's i'd be willing to say he might be the best acoustic player in the world right now i mean at least in Ooh, his gauntlets smile.
2: are thrown <laughs> yeah.
0: i mean i'd like to hear i'd love to hear other people's ideas i mean i mentioned andy, andy McKee earlier in their other people of different styles, but his sounds because he uses the kind of a Chet Atkins style. Sometimes the way he'll um, alternate his thumb, he's playing the bass lines with his thumb and he's playing the melody with the, with his fingers on the upper strings mm. and he sounds, and sometimes he'll, he'll add percussion on the acoustic guitar. He sounds easily like three people playing kind of like, uh, all the time. Uh, Rodrigo y Gabriela type of thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awesome, I love listening to Tommy Emanuel. And they make these harp guitars now, that you can get those, they have the bass strings. Oh, they're so cool. Actually, you're out, that makes me, brings me to another point. I was in Phoenix uh, last December, and I went to the Musical Instrument Museum. Oh, you've been to
1: that place, huh? It is the
0: coolest <laughs> museum on the face of the planet, in my opinion. It is,
1: it is, you got, It's a. it's literally a history. Uh, uh you know a, a museum that contains an example of every single type of instrument from, from history pretty much mm-hmm. um guitars that um you, you have to see it to believe it so it easier if you just google the website it's worth going Scotts-
0: yeah. it's worth traveling to phoenix to go there that's yes, cool. it is a magical magical place that's and cool. they have a petting zoo, a musical instrument petting zoo. It's pretty awesome too. You can play the Japanese gamelan. Tell, tell me about the musical petting zoo. I'm not aware of
2: that. That's cool. Oh, yeah.
0: I went in there. I got to play like the Japanese gamelan. It was awesome.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: That's yeah. sick. I mean, it's basically like a, um, a like a xylophone kind of instrument, but. Larger with kind of like brass bells, in the, instead of keys or bars like a xylophone. Yeah, I mean they just have all kinds of stuff. It's an awesome museum. Hmm, cool. I could That's spend days there.
2: Definitely gonna have to check that
0: out. And if you're interested in that kind of stuff, we did an episode on world music world a while music. back. You can mm-hmm. you can go back in our backlog and check that out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before we uh, end this, uh, what's uh, what's in your future, Brent?
1: So I'm working on an album, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, Keith St. John and, and James Kotak. That'll be out next year. It's called St. John. I'm also working on a um, an album. I was hired to do for a prog rock band called Desert Dragons out of L.A. Okay. And I will be doing more instrumental music coming soon. Beautiful. So my uh, my albums out it's doing well on uh, on radio and um, I just released a video on YouTube uh, for the lead track called horizon. So yeah. uh, please check that out.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, tell everybody where we can go to find all about you, sir.
1: So BrentBarkerMusic.com. Uh, if you'd like to buy physical CDs uh, to download the album digitally on iTunes, Brent Barker, and then Brent Barker music on
0: Spotify for streaming. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's fun to listen to you. So yeah. Good. Thanks. Good thanks guys.
2: Yeah. Well, thank really you. For appreciate it. Absolutely. We'd love to have you on the, in the future, check up on you and see how you're doing. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately Tony couldn't be with yours uh, with us tonight. Uh, but he's in our thoughts. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, we really do appreciate it.
0: Thanks yeah. guys. Yeah. 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 Thank awesome you. Way awesome way to meet somebody. Yeah. very yeah. much so. <laughs>
2: Well, thank you again, and you have yourself a good night, sir.
0: All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye.
2: Bye.